What color is the snow? I may have talked about this before, so just humor me. <laughs> what color is the snow? I was contemplating this today when I was in the woods. And it really depends on causes and conditions, how they come together, how we perceive the snow. If we're not really looking, the snow is white. But if our vision is fresh in the moment, the snow may be perceived as white, it may be perceived as mauve or ice blue or sparkling or tan, kind of a tan mauve color. So really the snow doesn't have a color depends on causes and conditions that come together in a certain moment, how it's perceived. You can't really peg it down. We're similar. We are really just uh, moments of causes and conditions coming together in a certain way and perceived in a certain way. And if we don't pay attention, deep attention, yes, well, on one level, yes, I'm here, but on another level, It's the same as the snow, the perception of the snow. An amazing display that just keeps changing. Tonight, I'd like to talk about boredom. Boredom and being ordinary. My colleagues were all excited to hear about this. (laughs) They said they wanted to come see if I could bore them. (laughs) Trungpa Rinpoche said, practice is boring, boring, boring. (laughs) It might be a little bit like um, a TV show I heard that was was or still is on um, British TV called Watching Paint Dry. And every day uh, they, they paint, every 24 hours they paint a wall, and then you can watch it dry. <laughs> or here's another one, this one I love. Um, I got this off the internet. Somebody named Dave Walker um, wrote, The Dullest Blog in the World, March 16, 2006, Tidying Some Pencils. Some pencils were scattered around on my desk. I picked them up one by one. I placed the pencils in the drawer that I used to store pencils. (laughs) October 16, 2005, opening a cupboard door. There was a cupboard in the corner of the room. I reached out my hand and gripped the door handle. I pulled the door towards me, thereby opening the cupboard. This one you'll really relate to. Um, September 10, 2004, scratching my knee. My knee had a slight itch. I reached out my hand and scratched the knee in question. The itch was relieved and I was able to continue with my activities. (laughs) It kind of sounds like a meditation retreat. It's all the in-betweenings, right? Or maybe that last one happened during a meditation sit. So here we come to get enlightened, or at least to have wild and exciting experiences. And um, 
it turns out that a lot of meditation is pretty ordinary. And we're like, what's, what's wrong here? I came to get enlightened. <laughs> Something's supposed to be happening and I'm just bored. I would say that practice definitely ruins our self-aggrandizement plans. It ruins our plans to get something. One Zen cartoon says, nothing happens next, this is it. (laughs) One teacher said that practice is anti-credential. One teacher, Carolyn Rose Jimian, I probably said her last name wrong. She writes, I do have one genuine accomplishment. I have gotten completely and totally bored. Boredom is my great achievement. (laughs) A big part of practice is learning how to connect with the ordinary or learning how to be ordinary. And this doesn't come so easy to us. Ordinariness or boredom is anathema in our culture. We're very much stimulation junkies. We want new and improved. And we're coming here hoping for new and improved practice. New and improved practice experiences. And I wonder if a lot of people quit practice because they get bored. It's like we'd rather have anything than boredom. I remember my first uh, long retreat here. I had all this like pain across my neck and my shoulders. I loved it. It it was so interesting compared to the breath. (laughs) Really, I preferred it. (laughs) Here's a John Cage concert. I gave a performance of my piece called Empty Words Part 4 for the students of Chogyam Trungpa at Naropa Institute in Boulder, Colorado. The piece goes on for two and a half hours and contains long silences of four and five minutes duration. And then out of the silence, I just say a few letters of the alphabet following a score which was written through chance chance operations from the journal of Henry David Thoreau. Meanwhile, there are these very faint images of Thoreau's drawings being projected on a screen behind me, but they are very dim and hardly change at all, perhaps once every 20 minutes. I thought it was an ideal piece for a Buddhist audience, but they became absolutely furious and yelled at me and tried to get me to stop the performance. (laughs) The next morning, I had a meeting with Chogyam Trungpa, and he invited me to join the faculty at Naropa. I think they were bored and they couldn't handle it, right? So what is boredom? Do you know what it is? Have you, have you had a chance yet to investigate thoroughly what boredom is? I often don't really see it as a single mind state, but more as a kind of a mix. So there might be some pulling back and disengagement. There might be a sense of giving up. There might be low energy or disinterest 
our lack of mindfulness, aversion, wanting. Maybe it's a sign that our agendas aren't performing, that practice isn't meeting our expectations, so we kind of pull back. It can lead to restlessness, obviously, getting, wanting to get something interesting or stimulating, a multiple hindrance attack. It could lead to reading the bulletin board after every sitting, or the bathroom signs again and again and again. So I'm going to explore all of these aspects of boredom, probably start with kind of more on the surface and go deeper and as we engage in this talk. So let's just talk about garden variety boredom. We're not interested. We're not engaged with what's happening. So the question might be why, to try to understand the conditions that are leading to this. Sometimes it's just simply low energy. And, um, you know, we all have periods of low energy during the day. And in some ways, we, we learn the art of kind of, I'm going to say waiting them out. That makes it sound like we don't do anything. <laughs> kind of a, perhaps a light attention or some way of continuing to engage while we wait and see if the energy changes. So part of our practice is managing low energy because we're all going to have those times. And again, kind of culturally, we're expected to have high energy (laughs) 24-7. It's not realistic. And so sometimes when we have low energy, maybe we get bored, maybe we um, judge ourselves during the low energy periods. They're great for practicing acceptance of the way things are. Obviously we do, we've talked about ways we can raise the energy, so that could be part of it. What raises the energy and see if the interest comes back, perhaps connecting with something pleasant, or walking outside, or doing fast walking, or having more caffeine. So sometimes if we can find some way to bring the energy up, then, then the interest returns. It can be interesting to see if boredom happens at the same time every day, or the same time in the sitting, or the same time in the walking. If so, perhaps it is related to energy. And so we can think about what steps might be helpful to raise the energy. I know for me, for example, I'm a morning person, so I don't tend to have a lot of energy in the evening. So often when I'm on retreat, I'll I'll pile up on the evening all of the things I have to do as a yogi. There aren't that many, but like if I can get an evening yogi job or take a shower in the evening or um, do the the things that must be done, do them in the evening because that helps me balance. So that might be low energy. Another um, reason is just um, lack of interest. Perhaps the object's somewhat neutral. We're just not interested. And in this case, I think of boredom as a kind of preemptive giving up on the moment. Boredom assumes that it knows what this moment has to offer and it's not of interest. 
This moment has nothing to offer. This breath has nothing to offer. This step has nothing to offer. This bite of rice has nothing to offer. As I said, it might be related to um, the experience being more neutral. And as we've talked about our conditioning with experiences that are, are felt as neutral, the conditioning is to space out, to not be so interested. Deep evolutionary roots, if it's neutral, it might not be something we have to deal with, so why waste our time? Why waste our energy? With meditation, we bring the attitude that every moment is worth our time, is worth our energy, is worth our interest. What we start to see as we investigate boredom is that it's not the object or event that is boring. It's rather the quality of heart and mind that is brought to bear on that event. And so sometimes boredom is a sign that closer attention is called for. So moving a bit closer, perhaps assuming that we don't know what this moment is or what this experience is. A number of years ago, I... um, My partner gave me a book on identifying wildflowers. So I had a couple of years where I really enjoyed just identifying the different wildflowers wherever I was. And um, so often I I ride my bike in the summer and I would ride my bike and then next to the road there was, you know, weeds. (laughs) Nothing of much interest, just gravelly weeds. But after I got this book, I started to pay attention to the... um, quote-unquote, weeds next to the side of the road. And I saw that when I I paid close attention, like just a small patch, a couple of square yards, there were like 10 different wildflowers. So as my attention got closer, it got more interesting. The distance, keeping the distance, I didn't really see what was happening and got bored. So moving closer... Boredom can be a sign that we want to move closer. Sometimes we can raise energy by um, asking questions, dropping in questions, and then just letting them go. But questions like, what's this? Or how does this change? Or what is the attitude of mind? Is clinging present? So sometimes just dropping in these sentences will help um, raise the level of mindfulness, raise the level of interest, and counteract boredom. Try seeing each moment fresh. How do we incline the mind towards seeing each moment fresh? John Burroughs, the naturalist, said, to learn something new, take the path today that you took yesterday. I was thinking that shouldn't be too much trouble here. 
<laughs> Perhaps that's the whole purpose of walking meditation, learn something new. <laughs> Take the path today that you took yesterday. So we bring this quality, um, I think there's actually this word called defamiliarization. And it's um, not assuming the familiarity of a thing. And it's what I've been pointing to a number of times of kind of coming out of the concept which assumes the familiarity of a thing and into the direct experience, moving closer to it. And so do we assume that we know what broccoli tastes like? I used to think that I liked broccoli. At one point I realized by actually tasting it that I don't like broccoli. (laughs) I like the idea of broccoli because I think it's good for me. And so, like, I was living in my idea of broccoli, but when I actually moved close to it, it it's like, oh, no, this is unpleasant. Does anybody really like broccoli? So, so defamiliarization, like tasting broccoli fresh, tasting it new. And what we see is how much our assumptions blind us to actual experience. Boredom often comes from living in the assumptions. The actual experience is fresh and new. So instead of boredom, we can learn on retreat to attune ourselves to a slower pace of life. There was this book I read a number of years ago called The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating. It's a really good book. It moves kind of slow. Um, it was about a woman who had some kind of illness where she had to stay lying down all the time, some maybe blood pressure thing with a bunch of other things. But anyway, she could only lie down. So it was really, she was pretty confined. And somebody gave her this snail, a wild snail in a little ter- um, terranium, or whatever you call it, a little container. And she got so she just loved watching this snail. And like, her mind was so quiet and her kind of attention so refined from, well, she was like on a, on a real retreat, right? Like really narrowed down. And um, like the pace of her attention was like the pace of a wild snail eating. And so can our attention here get, get that refined, like slow down? get subtler. I think she said as she started to get well, very interestingly, as she started to get well um, and had more energy and got up around more, uh, she couldn't watch the snail in the same way. So this is your chance, your confinement here. There's a great story from Charlotte Joko Beck, the Zen teacher. Many years ago, I was a piano major at Oberlin Conservatory. I was a very good student, not outstanding, but very good. 
and I very much wanted to study with one teacher who was undoubtedly the best. He'd take ordinary students and turn them into fabulous pianists. Finally, I got my chance to study with the teacher. When I went in for my lesson, I found that he taught with two pianos. He didn't even say hello. He just sat down at his piano and played five notes, and then he said, you do it. I was supposed to play it just the way he played it. I played it, and he said, no. He played it again, and I played it again. Again, he said, no. Well, we had an hour of that. And each time he said, no. In the next three months, I played about three measures, perhaps half a minute of music. Now, I thought it was pretty good. I had played soloists with little symphony orchestras. Yet we did this for three months, and I cried most of those three months. He had all the marks of a real teacher, that tremendous drive and determination to make the students see. That's why he was so good. And at the end of three months, one day, he said, Good. Wow. She probably had to go through a little bit of boredom. So perhaps part of it's just perseverance. Just keep going. And some kind of sincerity. You can hear sincerity in that story. And determination. And commitment. So perhaps we call forth on those qualities. We call on those qualities that we all have or we wouldn't still be here. But in times of boredom, to call them forth to give us the energy to keep going and to keep paying attention. Lastly, we can get interested in boredom itself. It can become the object of our meditation if that's what's happening. So let yourself be thoroughly bored. What is this experience? How do we experience it in the body? How do we experience it in the mind? Perhaps not much exciting happening, perhaps a pulling away, a disconnect. What's our relationship to boredom? Is there aversion? Is there judgment? I'm a bad meditator because I'm bored or because nothing is happening. We may skip over mindfulness of boredom as we are averse to it or trying to get rid of it or just trying not to face it. But if it's what's happening, we can be with it. We can be interested in boredom. So that's one level of of working with boredom. Perhaps low energy, lack of interest. Sometimes there's something deeper going on. And to talk about this um, aspect, I want to talk about um, the way Trungpa Rinpoche talks about boredom. He talks about hot boredom and cool boredom. So hot boredom. So hot boredom is um, boredom as an experience of subtle or perhaps not so subtle aversion or attachment, that that's what's really going on. 
when we're experiencing what we call boredom. So perhaps um, aversion. Perhaps we don't really want to be here. (laughs) Perhaps there's this um, rejection of the present moment. Perhaps it's unpleasant and we're not noticing that. We can ask ourselves, what's wrong with the present moment? I've spent some retreats where I get really interested, for example, in one breath, how many times I don't want to be there. I don't want to be here. I want to fall asleep. It was actually quite interesting. It wasn't boring. <laughs> or, I, or one retreat, hmm, I remember it was in Burma, and I, I was walking this beautiful pagoda up on the hillside, and I would just try to take one step, just one step, seeing if I could take the entire step without wanting to be somewhere else. It sounds simple, but it wasn't so simple. (laughs) Some steps I would notice like 10 times my mind would be going, it's not, this isn't it. (laughs) Something else. (laughs) This can't be it. It was very subtle, but it was very obvious when I paid attention. So there's this, there can be this... um, subtle aversion to being here or to the desire to be somewhere else or to have some different experience, the aversion. It was like it was just a step. It was like this is not interesting enough. That's what my mind was kind of saying on a subtle level. This is not interesting enough. There's got to be something else. And I would bring it back, back, back. It wouldn't go very far. It was more just this energetic, like I could just feel the leaving come back. I heard that one contemplative has this mantra. I can't remember who it is. I think it might not even have been Buddhist. Here. Now. This. Here. Now. This. That's really all we're practicing, right? Here, now, this. So if we find ourselves bored, (laughs) wanting to get out of here, to get out of the present moment, I read somewhere that the most common human thought is, get me out of here. I don't know if it's true, but I thought it was interesting. Here, now, this. You can practice that. Uh, A student of mine in in a group that I run in my center, my my non-residential center, my community center, she said that um, on a recent retreat, she just practiced the mantra, Stay. Not like stay, (laughs) not like a command, but more like you can do it. Stay. 
So sometimes boredoms just are um, kind of our uh, withdrawal symptom from, from being so used to so much stimulation or wanting so much stimulation. I heard that pedestrians today walk 10% faster than they did in 2005. <laughs> We're speeding up. <laughs> Not here, though. Here we come and slow down. And so when we, we take away the speed and the stimulation, we come here to the subtlety. It takes some time, right, for our energy to get as subtle, or attention to get as subtle as the pace here. I heard that in um, the 1860s in Paris, that it was um, in vogue to take your pet turtle for a walk. (laughs) That's more like the pace here, right? (laughs) It's a great image. (laughs) And so perhaps we're used to that speed and stimulation, and and it's a little scary to slow down. It's like we might might get in trouble if we don't fill all the gaps, the pause, the gap. It's all related to boredom. You have to be willing to be bored, or you can't do this practice. It's like you have to risk being bored. <laughs> Because that's what perhaps will open up the pauses and the gaps that can frighten us, but are also the doorway to some freedom, some spaciousness. We might be worried because it's so ordinary. That's what we're actually trying to learn, is how to be ordinary. Did you, did you sign up for that, to be ordinary? It's a lot of work to be extraordinary, isn't it? It's, it's a tremendous burden. You know what I mean, to try to be extraordinary. <laughs> Maybe if we really are extraordinary, it's not that great a burden, I don't know. <laughs> But the pressure, right, that, and it's related to that, uh, it must be something better. It, mm, 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 it's like that pressure. And we can see that too, like momentarily of like, uh, uh, gotta get it, gotta get it. Boredom's like the opposite of that. So boredom can be a kind of impatience, a kind of um, wanting something from practice and wanting it now. And since it's not what's happening, then what's happening doesn't get our attention. So with this kind of hot boredom, we miss life waiting for something else to be happening. We miss um, life that is made up so much of ordinary moments. 
So where do we draw the line of like what parts of life are worth attention and interest and what parts aren't? Mindfulness helps us to cross the divide of this disconnect, to connect with our lives just as they are. And in this process of relaxing into things just as they are, we may have to risk producing absolutely nothing. Zawaki Roshi says, no matter how many years you sit doing zazen, you will never become anything special. How does that land? I'm really curious. I'm not asking you to tell me. To me, that lands like, oh, great. Such a relief. But there's another way. It's, I was exploring, um, thinking about this talk, exploring like the feeling of being ordinary and how that might produce a, a sense of fear, a deep fear. Because perhaps if I'm ordinary, then um, I won't get all the goodies and then I won't get, then I'll die. <laughs> That's what it comes down to if you really explore it deeply. It comes down to fear of death. It would be disastrous to be ordinary. So you come here, and a lot of practice is ordinary. You see that life is kind of ordinary, most of it. And then it's not only ordinary, but then you start to see like the parts of yourself that you have kept nicely behind the scenes. Perhaps the nasty thoughts, the mean thoughts, the judgmental thoughts, the self-centeredness, the wanting. It's great practice. We're really happy when yogis come in and tell us this. It frees something. It seems to us like the wrong direction. We had hoped that we were going to float on clouds. But there's a relief. It's really counteracting delusion. Seeing the truth of what it means to be an ordinary human being. And all those things I described, we all experience them. And often we keep them tucked away somewhere, but tucking them away takes energy. (laughs) It takes shutting down in certain ways. And so here you come and you can't help it, you're opening up. If you're just here being quiet, (laughs) you're opening up. And it's the whole shebang, right? The whole package deal. But there's that relief of not having to expend the energy trying to look extraordinary, (laughs) trying just for the extraordinary to be known. And then we kind of hoped that perhaps we could will ourselves into um, looking better, being better, fixing ourselves. And so we, we, we keep hoping that we can um, 
shape up this mind and heart so that they look a little more presentable. And then we keep finding it doesn't work. It doesn't obey us. It doesn't do what we want. And so we're suggesting this whole, it's a huge paradigm shift. It's, it's a shift into relaxing into the very ordinariness of being. And we could give it a try because the old way hasn't seemed to work so well. The old way where we try to fix ourselves. Haven't you succeeded in fixing yourselves? Perhaps some of you, when I say we're just trying to be ordinary, perhaps some those who those of us who feel financially challenged or those of us who are young think, but wait a moment, I have to excel if I'm going to pay the bills, if I'm going to launch my career, if I'm going to be able to get a job. And, and of course there's a place for all of that. There's a place for our talents to shine and for our, um, our development of ourselves in that kind of way. But... But that, that isn't the spiritual practice. That's not the way of the spiritual practice. We just get ordinary. Many Enlightenment poems the moment of enlightenment is a moment of just complete ordinariness, complete ordinary moment of, ni- of life. Um, the other day, I think it was Jill perhaps read um, the enlightenment poem of Pat- Patachara, which is one of my favorite enlightenment poems. And she says, bathing my feet, I watched the bath water spill down the slope. I concentrated my mind the way you train a good horse. Then I took a lamp and went into my cell, checked the bed and sat down on it. I took a needle and pushed the wick down. When the lamp went out, my mind was free. Can't get much more ordinary than that. Washing her feet, sitting down to go to bed, turning out the lamp. We can't discount the years of effort, but always in the moment of freeing the mind, it's letting go. It's nothing special. One of my strongest moments of learning about ordinariness, was watching um, Thich Nhat Hanh walk a number of years. This was quite a while ago. Um, he was doing a retreat nearby, and at the end of his retreats, he would do a precept ceremony, and people were allowed to come from outside. So it was a couple hours from my home, and it started at 6.30 in the morning, so I had gotten up quite early and driven quite fast (laughs) to get there on time and so I parked my car and I was kind of like rushing towards the meditation hall and then he was coming out and walking towards the meditation hall him and, and his entourage and the way he walked 
um, just stopped me dead in my tracks. It was like I had never seen anybody walk like that before. Complete presence for each step. Absolutely no, like, being ahead of himself in any way. It was it was such a beautiful teaching. So sometimes when I'm doing walking meditation, I'll have that image and remember how he walked. It's kind of like the the trying trying to take one step, just being here, not not leaning into the future at all, but just here. Try it. Try it. Of course, if we try too hard, then then we miss it too. <laughs> it's an interesting koan. If we try to stay here, no, it's more like oh, here, now, this. kind of brings up the paradox, doesn't it, of being versus doing. We're so used to doing and doing that we're learning here the flavor of being. We're not sure how we feel about that. I um, have a, a, co- a cover here of a yoga journal. It says, being versus doing. Here's how to slow down without getting off the fast track. <laughs> That's kind of how we hope we can have it. We can have both. <laughs> but it's interesting. When we, when we settle into being or settling into ordinary, being ordinary, it does bring up this fear of... Um, uselessness or not producing anything, right? We're so hoping we're going to have some product at the end of this retreat that we can present to the world. (laughs) There was one retreat that I did um, a number of years ago and that for a number of reasons it wasn't a good idea for me to do a lot of formal sitting practice and my teacher, first of all, she kept telling me to back off not to do as much formal practice and... um, I wouldn't listen to her because I wanted to have something to produce and I was good at sitting, walking, sitting, walking, sitting, walking. I knew how to do that and, and it, you know, things happened for me and so I wanted to do more of that. And finally she's like, Rebecca, <laughs> you can sit one time a day formally. That's it, okay? That's it. If you want, you can also do some useless gazing. And useless gazing is, you know, you can sit at a window with a cup of tea and look out the window. So that was, that was it. So I do my one sitting in the morning. <laughs> and um, it was so hard. It was so hard to not be producing something. I went through this fire. It was like 10 days worth of it was torment. It was like, oh, I just wanted to sit and walk and sit and walk like all the other yogis and have something to show for my practice. And, and I felt like if I didn't produce something, I wasn't worthy of living on this planet. It was deep conditioning. 
And then after that, it was like I went through that, and then on the other side there was such freedom. Just freedom to be. To not have to be special, to not have to produce. And I had one of the deepest retreats that I've ever had. It was beautiful. I'm not recommending that you all just sit once a day and practice useless gazing. (laughs) Though for some people that's the right thing to do. We really look at each practice and what, what is most helpful. So that's hot boredom, this edge of, of, of the boredom coming out of wanting something or not wanting something, perhaps feeling some expectation that doesn't get met, perhaps just that energetic like it's somewhere else, this isn't it, this isn't enough, <laughs> hot boredom. So cool boredom, perhaps you really wouldn't call it boredom, but we're using the same word as for contrast. Cool boredom is more like disenchantment. So the, the enchantment is a spell, the enchantment of the things of this world is a spell that tells us that some kind of experience will, will do it that something is going to do it for us and we haven't found yet what it is. Disenchantment is breaking that spell. That there's something else, somewhere else, that is going to make us happy. That there's something that will be satisfying or permanent. So disenchantment is a kind of deepening wisdom about how to relate to this world that's that's perhaps more like contentment a relaxing a trusting that this is enough this moment just as it is is enough that's a kind of what Trungpa calls cool boredom and the mind is is freed from wanting something else or not wanting what is happening, freed from that sense of scarcity that somehow, um, or that sense of lack that somehow something else will supposedly fill. So it's a kind of resting. And so perhaps when we notice that kind of feeling that it's somewhere else, that it's not here, and sometimes I just feel that as like an energetic leaning forward, up and forward kind of energy, we can practice resting. And sometimes I even, it's the slightest physical movement of back and down. Instead of up and forward, oh, somewhere else, something else, back and down. Cool boredom, contentment, just this, here, now, this.
So there's a sense of connecting fully with life, with no need to be anywhere other than right here, right now, no matter if the experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So one of the first hints or one of the pathways towards this kind of cool boredom is um, getting bored with our stories. So we replay our stories um, over and over again, right? Uh, They're pretty much the same stories. I bet you have your top five. And um, pretty much you just choose a different one at different periods of the day. (laughs) But they go through, right, over and over again. Um, There's this great uh, reading from uh, Leonard Cohen. He was a monk for a number of of years, a Zen monk. Many of you know that. So this is um, about uh, an article about him in um, the Shambhala Sun. He discovered what he is looking for, he says, Leonard Cohen said. What happens in meditations that last 10, 15 hours is that you run through your top 10 erotic fantasies, ambition fantasies, revenge fantasies, global ratification fantasies. You run through them all until you bore yourself to death, basically. And the faculty that produces opinions and snap judgments and unrealistic scenarios of your own prominence, after you run through them for a number of years, they cease to have charge. They bore themselves into non-existence. You see them as diversions from another kind of intimacy that you become more interested in. And that is what Socrates said, know thyself. So they bore themselves into non-existence. And there is a certain kind of truth there. See if you notice at a certain point. It's like, oh yeah, you know what? I've done that story a lot of times. I'm kind of bored of that one. I think I'm not going to go down that highway. I know exactly where it goes. I know all the turns. Been down there a number of times. <laughs> it's like, uh. And it's not, it's not turning away so much in aversion. It's just kind of like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> just not so interesting anymore. So in some ways, um, what happens is kind of we wear out our dramas. Right? We sit here and we go through them over and over and over again, and then we start to wear them out. And that, too, is a kind of disenchantment. We start to get a little disenchanted with our dramas. At first, we like them so much. They fill all the gaps, keep us busy, convince us that we exist, just as we thought we did. (laughs) But as Leonard Cohen said, we start to see that they, they block us from a certain kind of intimacy and connection with life that we're really looking for. They block us from here, now, this. So we wear them out. So this kind of cool boredom actually um, 
it's a it 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 is it's pleasant and and it's a kind of subtler perhaps uh, type of pleasure than than the than the drama <laughs> the kind of um happiness of sense pleasures or stimulation or something big happening but more deeply satisfying Trungpa Rinpoche says it's like eating a really good meal or he also says it's refreshing like um, a cool mountain stream or a dip in a cool lake on a hot day I was thinking that's not such a great analogy for now. So maybe you could say it's like a nice hot sauna on a cold winter day. So if we can risk becoming bored, we can um, settle into the present moment. And all of those supposedly insignificant moments, ordinary moments of our day, We don't need the next hit of entertainment. We get to know simplicity and contentment. You've tasted it, I'm sure. I remember one of the kind of the first moments that it was really clear to me. I was washing pots here on a day just like today. It was an early snow day and I looked out the window and, and the snow, there was sun on the snow. I was washing the pots. And um, I absolutely did not want to be anywhere else or doing anything else than what I was doing. And the sense of relief and contentment was so strong and so sweet that I cried. There were just tears running down my face. I hadn't known that here, now, this could be so sweet. And it didn't matter what was happening, washing dishes. So we, through all this, we come to understand more deeply letting go and that meditation isn't about gaining something. It's not about producing something. It's about letting go. Letting go of all the extra. Besides for here, now, and this. So boredom, one of the doorways into freedom. One of my favorite poets, Ryokan, Japanese hermit poet. I'll end with a poem from him. My hut lies in the middle of the dense forest. Every year the green ivy grows longer. No news of the affairs of men, only the occasional song of a woodcutter. 
the sun shines and I mend my robe. When the moon comes out, I read Buddhist poetry. I have nothing to report, my friends. If you want to find the meaning, stop chasing after so many things. Let's sit for a minute. Here, now, this. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.